Hey guys, welcome to this week's episode of So What Else. I'm your host, Caitlin. And as you know, So What Else is a story-based podcast. So I am so excited that I got to sit down with my friend, Pastor Mark Halleck, this week for this interview. Mark is the pastor of Calvary Englewood out in the Denver area, and he is also the president of the Calvary family of churches. Listen, Mark is amazing. I know you're going to love him. He is such a lovable guy. To know him is to love him. He is so great, so approachable. And he shares with us so vulnerably today about his lifelong battle with anxiety. He shares about a panic disorder that he has suffered with since he was a kid. And he talks all about how he has dealt with that, all of it. He also goes into the darkest period of his life, which happened just a few short years ago when his young son was diagnosed with a very rare, very aggressive cancer. It's really powerful hearing from a pastor, you know, how his faith played into that, how it impacted his marriage, how it impacted his conversations with his son, all the things. I got so much out of it and I know you will too. So stay tuned. Pastor Mark, welcome to So What Else. Hey, so glad to be here. This is awesome. I've been looking forward to this for a while. Like, when did I see you last? I was trying to think when you were in Denver. Okay, yeah. So I saw you in July. July. And and I, and I had to encourage you because I love this podcast and I love you. And I I couldn't believe you asked me to be part of it. I'm just like, I can't believe this. This is incredible. Okay, so totally. It was like flipped for me because I've literally wanted to have you on this podcast since like episode two. Now we're in the eighties, but I always was like, I'm not going to ask him. Like he does like a thousand things. Like he's not going to have time to go on this like stupid, like, you know, and then when I saw you this summer and you were like, Hey, and you said such nice things about my podcast. I was like, Oh my gosh, it's my in. I was like, I'm going to ask him. I'm going to do it. Oh man. I love it. I love it. Seriously. I'm so, listen, I'm just proud of you. I'm serious. You are, this is an awesome thing you're doing. You're serving so many people. And uh, I was trying to think, Caitlin, when we met that summer, the summer of what was it? Yes. Summer of 2010. I just looked back at my Facebook memories to get that date. And you were with us and we did ministry together that summer. We did VBS. We did all kinds of stuff. Yes. Oh my goodness. That was awesome. So I had Catherine Lewis. Remember, I was working out there that summer for a few weeks with Catherine Lewis. She was on this podcast a few weeks ago. I texted her this morning. I said, guess guess who I'm talking to today? You know, she said, hey. That is awesome. So if people want to hear like the ins and outs of those weeks in Denver, they can go on that episode. We shared about some some fails. That was, it wasn't like, (laughs) I would not call it like the perfect mission strip. (laughs) No, no, not perfect at all. But God was kind to us. We had exactly. A good time. It was rocky. We enjoyed yeah, ourselves, but totally. yikes. There there was some some stressful things. But I remember that week. So we were coming to your church every day and doing like VBS yes. and painting yes. and whatever. But we were sleeping at this church where you used to be the youth pastor. Oh, and you were like, you really? Yeah, you were like, oh, you guys are sleeping at South Suburban. Yes, South Suburban. okay. I hope you're not sleeping in the basement. I thought that basement was so creepy. When I worked there, so many creepy things happened down there. And we were like- That's where you stayed. We are. Thank you so oh much. <laughs> I hooked you guys up. You're, you're welcome. <laughs> we were like, oh, well, this man, is that delightful. Is funny. <laughs> I don't think we had any showers yet. So I think I was like, man, these kids are going to need showers. So that okay. church has at least something. Yes. Yes, exactly. Yeah. It was fine. It was good. We we, we did not have a problem there. But then of course, after that, we were like, we should check for ghosts. Like what's the deal? Like, like, I've got stories about that place. (laughs) 
Stories. What is it about churches at night though, right? Like, oh, I know. Oh, well, listen, real quick, crazy. real quick. I know this isn't even what we're talking about, but seriously, did I ever tell you the time? So I was there, youth pastor. I was probably 20, I don't know, 23, 24. I was there late at night, downstairs, big church for, for listeners. Huge. Big church, big building, yeah. huge building. And my, my office was down in the basement in just this weird kind of old wing. And um, I don't know, it was like 10, 30, 11 at night. And um, I was shutting off everything. It was probably after youth group one night. And I go to this, this room down the hall. And I mean, nobody's around. There's this guy <laughs> standing there with his fists clenched behind, oh, right behind the my. door. I'm not yeah. kidding. You can't make this up. <sighs> I'm like, this might be it, Lord. This I'm might done. be it. This might be it. And uh, I just said, well, hi, sir. Like, can I help Hello? you or do you need something? And he he didn't say anything. He just was staring at me. <sighs> and I'm going, what? okay, what do I do here? Like, what, what, what do I need to do? And so I just kind of tried to winsomely say, hey, we're closing the church up and can I walk you out the door? And he just keeps staring at me. And then he oh starts gosh. walking toward me. I'm not making this up. <laughs> and and he wa- I'm sweating. And so I'm walking beside him all the way through this dark hallway up the stairs. I'm just waiting either for him to punch uh, or do yeah, something. Yeah. I mean, it was so scary. We get in, we go all the way to the, to the doorway. And he looks at me. And he finally unclenches his fist. Like his fists were like clenched the whole time. <sighs> and he sprints out the door. Stops. And there's a car waiting for him out in the parking lot. Like someone else driving it? Somebody else was there. He jumps in. They take off. So my guess is he was waiting for me to leave the building so that maybe they could come in and steal stuff. I don't know. It was unbelievable. Holy moly. No, just a little, little, fun, little fun story for you there. That was I, one of many. Yeah, I would never recover from that. I would I feel I would have never got back into that church. Oh man. Let's just say I always kind of had made sure somebody else was with me. Uh, yeah. late at night from that point on. But uh oh. anyway, so it was crazy. Anyway, oh my gosh. All right. Well, that's stories. a wild story. So that's where we yeah. slept for two weeks. Yay. Yes. That didn't happen You're to welcome. us. We were okay. You're welcome. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Trying exactly. to strengthen, grow your faith in the Lord. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> so that summer when I came out, I met you. I met my husband. My whole yes. life changed. So since then, I've seen you basically right. like once a year. Because it's like yes. we come out to Colorado. I love to hear you preach. I love to come back to Calvary, see how it's, you know, changed. Oh, and this yeah. summer was huge. The pews were gone. Yeah. Oh man. It was a big Wild. move for us. We got rid oh, of the yeah. red carpet that we've had since, I don't know, 72. Yep. And old pews. And I loved those pews. I know. And part of it, Caitlin, you know me, you know, part of the reason we didn't get rid of those pews and the carpet for so long is because we're a church. We just don't want it to be about the building, trying to be cool or impressive in any way. Jesus is the only one who's impressive. Mm-hmm. And so there's something with sitting in those old pews week after week that helps our people go, you know what? It's about Jesus. It's not about us. Totally. But we reached a point where, quite frankly, the pews were hurting people. And so <laughs> church was, became dangerous. It became dangerous. We're like, okay, okay, it's time to get some some chairs or something. So anyway, people that was are a big, falling. big shift. Oh man. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it oh, did yeah. look great. It looks yeah. great. So anyway, we're happy. We like our little old sanctuary. Oh yeah. It's the best. Calvary's amazing. Listen, if you are in the Denver area, well, let me, okay. Now we've already been talking for like forever, but 
Why don't you introduce yourself? Explain okay. who are you? What do you do? Yeah. We'll get into it. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So I serve as a pastor in Denver at a church called Calvary Church. It's in Inglewood, actually. So Inglewood is kind of a, it's not the suburbs of Denver. It used to be back in the day when mm-hmm. Calvary was started back in the 50s. Um, but it's sort of this, we call it the donut of Denver. It's sort of in between the inner city um, and suburbia. Anyway, been there since 2009. And it was, I had been a youth pastor, obviously, mm-hmm. at South Sub, other churches before that. And then God just really broke my heart for dying churches. I can't really explain it other than we were seeing churches being planted all over Denver, which was awesome. And I, we're, I'm a huge fan advocate of church planning. But my heart was, man, what about these dying churches? Like, mm-hmm. who's going in to, to love these people and, and help see them experience new life and new growth as families move into those communities that are aging and things like this? Yeah. So anyway, 2009, went to Calvary, been there since then. And God's just done this really cool work of bringing this dying church back to life. And as we've grown as a church, uh, we've we uh, never wanted to be a huge church and so we're like, uh, we love people. We're very much a shepherding focused church. Um, I just believe that's what the scriptures call a pastor to be. And so anyways, we got bigger. We became real serious about planting other churches then and sending yeah. people out and replanting or revitalizing dying churches. So by God's grace, since 2009, we've been able to be part of 30 church plants and, <laughs> and what we call replants of, of dying churches that are now thriving again. And it's just been an awesome, awesome journey. And God has been so gracious. So anyway, so my wife is Jenna and we've been married since 1999. So Mm. I guess 23 years. Wow. My daughter Zoe is a sophomore in college, which is so crazy. crazy. That's nuts. And my son Eli is a junior in high school. And so, and then we have two dogs. I never thought ever I would have a dog, but now we have two of them, (sighs) Tofu and Winnie the Pooh. I am obsessed uh, with that. Oh yeah. Tofu is our little dog who thinks he's really big and scary. I love that. Is our big dog. Who's like just a lover. Oh, they're a lot of fun. Yeah. So anyway, that's a little bit about me. That's amazing. So, okay. You are a pastor. What you've done at Calvary is insane. Look, my mother-in-law and father-in-law have been at Calvary since the dawn Um, of time. Yes. And I mean, yeah, they're forever. just, yes, like literally forever. Yeah, yeah. And they're just so thankful for you and what you've done at that church. You know, I mean, it's really, it's yeah. legitimately incredible, but also like, listen, you left out that you are also an author. You're a podcast host. You guys have a publishing company. I mean, if you would have asked me this morning, I feel bad saying this to your face, but like this morning, if someone said, how many books has Mark written? I would have been like, probably like five ish. I went on a coma press this morning and I was like, there's like 55. There's like a thousand books. I was like, I did not realize, like I was not aware of the extent. Like there's so many books. I mean, listen, this is kind of the nerd side of me that just, um, I just love writing. Here's the truth. It's not that I'm a writer that loves to just sit down and write. What, what compels me is helping churches and pastors and encouraging God's people. And so it's been a joy just to hopefully share um, some of what I'm learning. You know, I, I always want, thought that God would have me write some books and stuff. I, but I, I had heard Tim Keller years ago say, never write a book before you're 40. Mm. And so I had all these ideas and all this stuff kind of building up. And then when I hit 40, I felt like, okay, 
I think maybe I've earned the right to say something. I mean, I'm still learning a ton, you know, I'm not an expert on anything, but hopefully this could be helpful to some folks. And so that's a publishing ministry of our, uh, of our church now as a coma press. And um, again, we just want to put out resources really, really cheap that hopefully are really quality and, and biblical and helpful and encouraging for churches and individuals. So yeah, that's uh that's kind of a, a cool thing God's let me be part of. So awesome. We'll link all that in the notes and everything. So if people are interested in looking at that, I mean there's children's books on there too. Yes, yes, there are. We have several kids' books now. It's um, amazing, which is awesome. Yeah. So listen, I know something that you and I share is a struggle with anxiety in mm-hmm. life. I mean, yep. that was like a harsh transition, yep. but let's okay. just get into it. So, and you know what? Like anxiety is a huge thing. Like I just had a counselor on here. She's a Christian therapist. And she was like, anxiety is the number one thing Mm. that comes walking through the door. You know, Um, I recently heard an interview with uh, the pastor of Red Rocks, which is near you guys. You know, he talks about it. You know what I mean? It's like, this is the thing. You know, like people are finally talking about this. So I would love for you Take, take us in. Like, what, is, yeah, what yeah. is your story with that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's really good. And you're right. It's incredible um, how much we see this uh, in the church and our culture. Anxiety, the flip side of anxiety is depression. They're mm-hmm. tightly connected for most people. Um, here's kind of my story. I have a weird story with this. So now I'm 45, okay? So I'm mm-hmm. I'm a little older. But when I was in third grade, I, we had, um, a skate night at our school. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I grew up in Casper, Wyoming. Nobody, no, I bet none, nobody's listening has ever been to Casper, Wyoming. but <laughs> anyway, grew up in Casper, Wyoming and we had the ice rink, the old ice rink. And so mm-hmm. we had a, uh, an evening, our classes all went up there and had a skate rink. Well, or went skating. I was a third grader and I was out on the ice and they put on the strobe lights And keep in mind, I was just a really, man, outgoing kid playing soccer. I mean, I just, you know, easygoing, healthy, never thought anything of it. Well, all of a sudden, at the time, I didn't know what was happening, but I had a panic attack, Mm. okay, is what it was. I called it a blackout. I didn't know what it was. I I made my, got off the ice, went to a chair, and I was just crying. I thought I was dying. Like, I didn't know what was going on. Obviously, there was, um, you know, between the strobe light, there were a lot of kids out there. It kind of triggered this thing. Well, anyway, as a third grader, that sent me on this really weird journey for about probably a couple of years where, keep in mind, third grade, how old are you in third grade? Ten? Seven? Eight? Yeah, maybe like eight or nine. Okay, eight or nine. So you can do the math. This was like 1986. Okay. Nobody was talking about anxiety. No, nobody. my gosh, no. Nobody was talking about any of this stuff. And so, you know, my parents had no clue what it was. The no. doctors didn't know what it was because all of a sudden, here's what happened. This panic attack became panic attacks. Mm. So I was, uh, I kind of actually for me, so so if you want to look at the stream, because, you know, anxiety can take different paths, right? Like general anxiety disorder, PTSD, OCD. Yeah. Um, panic attack disorder. Um, and a lot of times they, they overlap actually. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me, it was really this, the panic attack thing and a panic attack disorder often, um, kind of morphs into what's called agoraphobia. Okay. Agoraphobia 
is when you are afraid to be in places where you cannot easily escape. Mm. Um, so for instance, um, it's why a lot of times people who struggle with pl- uh, flying on an airplane okay, or, um, you know, being in tight spots or locations, it's, it's, uh, it just, if you can't escape, it, it conjures up this great panic anxiety, mm-hmm. which often can result in a panic attack. Okay. okay. Um, and so anyway, that's what began to happen to me. So like I, when I was in class, I was a third grader, I'm in school class, I'm in classroom. And I felt like I had to sit by the door. Like mm. I didn't have the words for it, but I was like, I can't, I I'm like on edge all the time and I need to sit by the door um, or I'll have a panic attack. Um, I played soccer. I, I felt that on the soccer field. Like I was mm. like, so I would like literally have panic attacks and like run off the field and stuff like this. So what you, mm-hmm. you can imagine incredibly embarrassing, confusing. Mm-hmm. My parents are like, what happened to our son? What's going on? Yeah. Um, so they hospitalized me to try to figure out what was going on. So they oh, thought wow. maybe it was diabetes. Uh, they didn't know what it was. Did all these tests and basically nobody had a clue what, what was going on. And so um, basically this kind of... <laughs> ran my life for a couple of years, honestly, through like fifth grade. So like a couple of years, mm-hmm. I will tell you, this was the first time in my life that I began, even as a little third grader, fourth grader, I, I believed in God. So I grew up in the church and I didn't know a lot of what that meant, but this was the first time in my life. I was like, only God can understand what's going on in me. Mm-hmm. Um, my parents love me. I know that, but they don't understand. The doctors yeah. don't understand. I don't even understand, but I know God understands. And I know God is with me. And so basically I came to a point, it was probably my fourth grade year. So I kept going to school, kept doing all these things, but it was like a battle every day. And basically got to the point where I'm like, I'm going to, I cannot let this take over my life because Mm. what would be easy to do is just stay at home all day and not do anything. Um, Or I can fight through this and know that God's with me. Mm. And if I, and literally this sounds dramatic, but it's true. My mindset was if I die, I die. Like mm. if, if that, if that would, happen. this is a fourth grade, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, now, so what I began doing is facing every fear I had. So I was afraid like of going to our mall, everything. Okay. Yeah. And so I said, you know what, I'm just going to bring it on. Let's do this. God's wow. with me. And I started fighting. Well, what I didn't know at that time what I know now is that's actually how you fight panic attacks. Yeah. <laughs> is actually not giving it, letting it scare you, but actually leaning into it because, yeah. you know, so much of it is built up in our mind and then it mm-hmm. affects our body and all these things, but learning to overcome that this isn't that big of a deal, you know? Yeah. And so as I began to kind of fight this and face my fears, I began going, losing the fear of things. Does that mm-hmm. make sense? Yeah. And all of a sudden it was like, I was comfortable playing on soccer again. And I was comfortable. I was like, man, I'm okay. Like I've got this, like God's got me. So basically heading into like sixth grade. So imagine this for the next, then I thought I'd overcome it. I thought like it's done. Yeah. And so for the next, so all through middle school, high school, played basketball, played basketball in college, all these kinds of things. Like I I didn't even think about it. Mm -hmm. Okay go through, uh, marry my wife. We have our baby, our first daughter, Zoe. Um, I'm two years into seminary. Okay. Okay. So I'm now 20. Well, I don't know how old was I 26, 27 years old. Mm -hmm. I'm at the mall one day 
with a buddy. And out of the blue, I have a major panic attack. And it's like I'm that kid at the ice rink. All yeah, over yeah. The difference is now I'm 27. My mind is more uh, mature. Uh, the fear is even deeper. Am I going crazy? Like, what is happening? Am I having yeah. a stroke? Like, I don't know what's going on. Right, right. Anyway, <clears throat> so I look back now, and here's what I know. I, I had reached a point. I was I was a husband, <laughs> a new mm-hmm. husband. We have a baby on the way. No, we yeah. have the baby. I'm a full-time seminarian. I'm a full-time youth pastor. And I'm already a very driven guy. And so yeah. I think part of what was going on is I literally hit the wall. And, and so, but what happened was it wasn't just one panic attack. It's like it brought it all back. And so, you know, the fear of, oh my gosh, am I literally going to start, is this part of my life again? You know? Yeah. And so there was about a year long period that was one of the darkest seasons of my life. The, the second, it was probably the second, the first darkest season we'll talk about in a little bit was when, yeah. when Eli, my son got cancer, but there was a year in my life where <clears throat> I'm not kidding. It sounds so crazy. Cause you know me, mm-hmm. I was like afraid to speak in front oh. of people because again, it was like, it's like the ultimate in not yeah. being able to escape. Totally. You know? um, seminary. Like I had to sit by the door again. Like, mm. I, and I'm not telling anybody this, right. Right. Cause part of it's like, I don't want to freak people out. Yeah. Uh, I also didn't know what was going on. Um, it was really, really hard. And now, I did lean into a couple of close friends. I didn't want like, cause I was a youth pastor of a large youth group. Yeah. I didn't want kids, the parents to be scared. So it was just a really weird time. Um, <clears throat> all this to say, um, I, I kind of for about two, three months in particular was very heavy. Um, it, my anxiety became v- pretty deep depression for mm-hmm. the first time in my life. Um, that's when I, as I studied all this, like, man, they're kind of flip sides of the same kind of deal. Anyway, didn't take medicine, didn't take medicine, um, thought, okay, I can figure this out. Bottom line is after a year of suffering, basically, Mm. of just wearing myself out all the time, I finally just said, and it wasn't a pride thing, like I'm an anti-medicine guy. I was just like, man, I don't, I really would like to not be on medicine if I can help it. Totally. And and so anyway, but after about 12 months of just, I'm like, I can't live like this. Mm -hmm. I went to the doctor. And he prescribed some anti-anxiety medicine. And um, literally within two weeks, crazy, it was like, um, it was like I was back to my old self. Mm. And so I think in the, not that medicine alone is the answer. I think what medicine does for somebody with anxiety, panic attack disorder, is it can help regulate things so that you're actually able um, to address some of the real issues. You know what I mean? Yes. Fear totally but when your anxiety, I know your people can't see this, but is like up at a nine out of 10 all the time, which yes. is where I was living. What medicine does is it brings it down to a four, you know, yeah, four or five. And so now it's like, okay, let's just think rationally about what's going on and things. Totally. So it allows you, does that make sense? A hundred percent, absolutely. Like something that I used to always say is that when I started anxiety medication. I, at first, after two weeks, I was like, oh, I'm like a new person. And then I was like, no, that's not the right way to describe it. Yeah, I'm not yeah. a new person. Yep. I'm the same person just brought back to like, yep. I don't want to say normal. Normal is not the right word. But like, I know what you're saying. It's totally. like you, you get back to like, yeah. okay, like I feel like I can think clearly. Exactly. Like, yep. you know what I mean? And I know exactly. a lot of people are always very scared about 
medication because they're scared it's going to give them like a flat affect or whatever, right, which right, I get. Right. And that happens to some people, sure, but that was sure. not my experience. It yeah, wasn't. Yeah, me neither. Me you neither. know, like nobody would have looked at me and been like, "What's she seems kind of dead. Yeah, like, no, like, you know what I mean? Yeah. It was just Caitlin, totally. except not so high strong. <laughs> yeah, exa- I mean? yeah. So, for sure. Totally. Me too. Me too. And so that's where, man, I, I'm, you know, and then since then, I mean, that's when I was, you know, 27, 28, I'm 45 now. So I've been a, just a strong advocate for folks, you know, in the church and otherwise of as part of your healing, potentially, you know, it's not, not for everybody, but part right. of this is where, man, there's spiritual aspects to this for sure. There's emotional aspects, there's historical parts of your life, but then there's this biological piece that, you know what, I just had to come to the point and go, you know, in our broken world where sin is a real thing and it's affected all of us, we're all broken in different mm-hmm. ways. We just are. That's why we need Jesus uh, to redeem us and, and start putting us back together. My brain is, is was kind of broken in this way, you know, uh, with this, this anxiety thing. And by God's grace, um, medicine exists to help me um, function better and to be able to live into this life God's called me to live um, mm. with the help of that. So I'm very grateful, but I know I, I very much, man, sympathize with people who struggle with anxiety. I get it. I totally mm-hmm. get it. Um, and even to this day, I mean, li- listen, the reality is I think that panic, uh, you know, the fear, that's probably my thorn. I've told people, mm-hmm. you know, the apostle Paul in, in the new Testament talks about having a thorn. Mm-hmm. Um, and we don't even know, scholars don't even know exactly what the thorn was. Mm-hmm. If it was a, a physical, you know, uh, malady of some kind, if it was some kind of, we don't know, but what we do know is that Paul saw this thorn, not as a curse, but actually as a blessing from God, mm-hmm. because, and this is what I believe about suffering. It, it allows us to stay humble independent mm-hmm. on God. Yeah. And that's why he praised God for the thorn. And, and I praise God for the thorn as well, mm-hmm. because it keeps me humble. It reminds me that God is, is good and powerful and with me. Um, it helps me to care for people well, who are also suffering. So there's, yes. a, there's so many blessings in the thorn that, uh, yeah, there's days I'm like, man, I wish I never struggled with anxiety at all. But then I'm going, now, I, I think God knows in his kindness that this is, this is really good for me, you know, mm-hmm. and this, and I don't want to be less dependent on him. Yeah. <laughs> and so this is a means by which I am fully trusting in him more and more than, than praise him for the thorn, you know? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I think that's really, really, really huge for people to hear you say that because I, I feel like there's so many layers to it, but I do think a lot of times, you know, in Christian circles, it can be just kind of like pray your way through it and that's mm-hmm. enough. And that might be, prayer is very powerful. That's wonderful. And sure. yes, that might be a, that prayer. Yes, we should all pray. You know yeah. what I mean? Yep, yep, yep. But like you said, there's some people that there is a biological component to this yep, and yep. it's not wrong. Even though I do think that some people like that narrative has been written, you know what I mean? That like in churches, sure. it's like, Ooh, medication, ugh, yeah, you know? Right. Yep, and yep. I think that that's really huge for people to hear from you. Like, Hey, yeah. Like I'm a proponent of this. Like there's a lot of aspects to healing. That's not the only thing, you know, that gets me through, but it's important and it helped me a ton. Amen. That's right. That's exactly right. I mean, you know, with most things in life, there are always ditches on either side. Mm -hmm. Extremes, there are ditches wherever on any issue in life. And I think if you're looking at this issue, there's a ditch on both sides. There's a ditch Mm -hmm. that on the side of 
being over-reliant on medicine as the answer for everything. Totally. You know that that's just not true. That mm-hmm. the God, that's not, that's not reality. Now, what's sad is if you don't know the Lord, if you don't have a relationship with Christ, well, you're going to run to that ditch all the time because it mm-hmm. brings you some relief, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, but I, but I would say ultimately that's a ditch we have to avoid because true healing is actually not found in that ditch. Mm-hmm. The other ditch is I don't need any medicine. I, I've got prayer. I've got God. That's all I need. Um, you're weak if you take medicine or heck it, or, or even worse, like it's dishonoring to the Lord. If you take medicine, it's a lack yeah. of faith. And that's a, that's just an unbiblical ditch too. That's an mm-hmm. unwise, um, comes off as overly spiritual, but actually I think is very immature mm-hmm. view understanding of who God is, um, and, and humanity and our brokenness and sin and redemption and all these things in the gospel. So anyway, we just want to be careful of ditches, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's called wisdom, um, mm-hmm. to live in a place where, where wisdom reigns in our life. And I think when it comes to these things, you've got to assess is why you need other people to speak into your life. Yeah. You know, am I kind of, where am I? What do you guys think? Is this crazy? Am I in a ditch and I'm not even aware of it? Or am I heading toward a ditch or, you know, whatever. And so community is a huge part of this as well. Cause we have blind spots and they're called blind spots for a reason. And we need people who love us, who can help us see what we don't see. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You said that that was like the second darkest time of your life. During that time, you said, you know, you weren't understandably being like super open about it, but you had a few people that like you kind of called into it. Tell like, who were those people? How, what, what did that look like? Yeah. I mean, here's the truth. I think, so if you look at, okay, let's just go back to when I was in third grade, Mm -hmm. you're a third grader, right? Like I don't know much. And so I don't know the value of community. That was just, I look back at how God got me out of that funk Mm -hmm without anybody knowing what was going on back in 1986. And that, that was miraculous. I mean, yeah. honestly, it was just like, there's no other way to explain um, how God did that. Um, and, and so I always look back at that when I was in my twenties, mm-hmm. um, there's no doubt that that is where um, I, I had to rely on and lean into a handful of really close godly people. Okay. Mm -hmm. I didn't need people who were just going to pat me on the back and say, it's okay. It's okay. It'll get better. It'll get better. I just didn't need that. Like I was in the pit of my life, you know, I was in the battle of my life. And so I needed friends who loved me enough to speak, um, speak truth to me, um, about God's character, about the God's using this suffering for good. Mm -hmm. Um, and I'll tell you, Caitlin, I mean, it was during my twenties, um, and I don't need to, I don't, we don't need to go too far this way, but I think this is an important part of my story, especially as we, as we look ahead to the Eli piece of this mm-hmm. is one of the things I learned in my twenties as I was going through this battle with, um, extreme anxiety and panic is understanding who exactly God is. Now at that point, remember I was a Christian, I was a youth pastor, I'm going to seminary. Um, but one of the things I realized is this is why theology, and that's a big word. Theology just means the study of God. Mm-hmm. Your theology is really, really important. Like what you believe about God yeah. is either going to be right or it's going to be wrong. Mm-hmm. It's going to be in line with scripture, which I believe is God's revealed truth to us to tell us who he is. Um, or it's going to be uh, your theology will be shaped more by the world 
around us, Mm -hmm. or perhaps ideas of what you think God is like, Mm -hmm. which you may create a God that you like, but it's not the real God. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's not truly God. It's an idol. And so for me during those years, what I realized is you have to, and this is one of my most important parts of my ministry is helping to prepare people for suffering Mm. before the suffering comes. Yes. Before the suffering comes. Because when you're in the midst of suffering, whatever it is, you get a cancer diagnosis. Mm -hmm. Uh, Someone you love who's very close to you dies unexpectedly. Um, What You pick your pain. Mm -hmm. Um, It is very difficult in that moment to begin to develop a theology of suffering. Okay. Totally. Um, who is God in this? Where is he? I mean, if in fact, if you don't have a strong understanding of who God is and how he works in suffering before the suffering comes, that's where you see people basically go, forget you, God, Yeah, you know, you let me down. And, and I, you know, clearly you don't love me. You don't care about me, which is a very immature, you know, understanding, but it's a, but I get it. Yeah. If you've never been taught well, this is why surface level Christianity in North America, that is just everywhere mm-hmm. is not preparing people for suffering. It's mm-hmm. just not. And so, you know, three, if, three things I would say that we have to understand about God um, before the suffering comes three things. One, we have to understand that God is sovereign. Now that's a big word, mm-hmm. but we see that everywhere in scripture. It simply means that God is in control. God is not sitting there going, shucks, I wish I could do something about this. Yeah. You know? God is in control. He can do whatever he wants. He created the mountains I'm looking at outside my window here in Colorado. Mm-hmm. He knows every hair on your head. Mm-hmm. He, he is sovereign over all things. He's not a little God. He's a big, powerful, strong God. So we've got to understand sovereignty. But then we also have to understand, secondly, that he loves his people. Mm-hmm. Okay? It doesn't bring a lot of comfort to have a God who's really, really powerful, but doesn't actually love me mm-hmm. <laughs> or yeah. love you you know, most obviously displayed through, through Christ mm-hmm. dying for our sins. But, but so God is sovereign. He's loving. But the third piece that's so important is that he is perfectly wise. So in other words, he always does the best thing and the right thing, whether we understand it or not. Yeah. And you have to believe those three things about God. And if you take one of the three out of the picture, you've got a problem. Fat yeah. Yeah. If, he, if he's not sovereign, but he's loving and wise, well, great. He cares about me and he's smart, but he can't do anything about it. You know what I mean? He can't, like, he's not powerful to actually pull it. That's the God in the corner going, man, I wish I could do something about your pain. You know, mm-hmm. I wish I could do something about this illness or I wish I could do whatever. If you have sovereignty and love, but not wisdom, he's a powerful God who loves you, but he's not the sharpest tool in the shed. You know what I mean? And it's like, I don't know if I can really trust him because he's not real wise, you know? Totally. And, um, the third scenario, if he's sovereign and wise, but not loving, meaning he's all powerful. He's really smart. He not, always does the right thing, but he doesn't, his heart doesn't break for my pain. Like he yeah. doesn't really care deeply for me. Mm-hmm. Well, that doesn't comfort me. Cause I don't know if he's going to actually care enough to meet me in my pain. So mm-hmm. anyway, not trying to give a quick theology lesson here, but I think these no. are pillars for every one of us listening, even mm-hmm. when pain comes, cause pain will come. Yeah. It's just a matter of time. Absolutely. And that was, unfortunately, your story just a few quick years ago. Yes. You know, you went through, as you said, the darkest time in your life. Tell us a little bit about Eli. Yep. What happened? Start at the beginning. Yeah. So so my son, Eli, who's now now a junior in high school, and by God's grace, he's doing awesome. And mm-hmm. his health 
is great. He's been in remission now for, boy, I don't even know, three, three years. That's amazing. Three full years, which is just God's kindness. Yeah. But um, when Eli was 13, he, uh, and again, Eli, if you know Eli, awesome kid, healthy his whole life, mm-hmm. uh, a really good athlete, mm-hmm. very kind kid. Anyway, went on a youth retreat, comes home from the youth retreat and says, you know, mom, dad, my stomach's kind of hurting. And he's now, here's the thing about Eli. And this is something that's key to the whole story. This kid is not a dramatic kid. Okay. okay. He's also yeah. not a, a verbal processor. He's a little more quiet, a little more, mm-hmm. he keeps stuff in. Okay. So whenever he actually does share like something's wrong, like we're like, okay, there's probably something with this, you know? He's very sick. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So he has a stomach ache and we're just watching it. And we noticed his stomach was a little puffy, but we didn't think much of it. We we're like, you know, maybe, who knows, maybe he ate something bad, whatever. Yeah. Well, that was a Monday morning. By Monday night, his stomach had literally like quadrupled in size and it was bulging oh. out. It was, it was hard as a rock. <sighs> and we're in like- In one day. Yeah, this is, this is in one day. This is not good. Like there is something going on here. And he was in, he, at that point, he was in a lot of pain. So um, again, there's so many details with this, but let's just say we go to uh, Instacare. So we're okay. like, man, we got to do something. It's probably nine, nine at night at this point. Mm-hmm. And um, quickly they run tests and they can tell this is serious. Like this is not a little thing. Um and basically, they could tell very quickly that this was, you know, 99% of the, you know, chance it was cancer. Mm-hmm. And and you can imagine as a parent, like, that's one of the, the, the I mean, to say it's a hard thing to hear is an understatement. It yeah. was, it took, you know, the breath out of our lungs. I mean, basically saying, you know, showing us these pictures, Eli, it looks like Eli, um, has a, a very aggressive tumor in his stomach. And, um, and so you guys, you're going to, we're going to send you to the hospital like right now. So, so Jenna and Eli uh, had an ambulance to one of our uh, hospitals in downtown Denver. Um, immediately they, be, they do more tests. What they, what they find is they, is this, is this tumor, the kind of cancer is called Burkitt's lymphoma. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now, Burkitt's lymphoma is a very, very aggressive cancer. It it doubles every 24 hours. And so, yeah, so you can imagine, I mean, we know for a fact that he would not have, if we would have just said, hey, bud, let's just kind of make it, let's just kind of stay at home tonight and see, yeah. like he wouldn't have survived. Oh. So immediately they, they put him in um, surgery to remove what they can of this tumor. Now, I don't want to be too graphic, but sometimes when we think of tumors, there's different kinds of tumors. Sometimes yeah. they're more solid and, mm-hmm. and, um, you know, they, they don't, they're kind of concealed. So you can mm-hmm. kind of take out the tumor and what, well, this particular kind of tumor, if you can imagine like the thickest peanut butter oh. the, wrapped all around his intestines. Okay. Oh. And it's, and again, and it's growing rapidly. Okay. So it's doubling every 24 hours. Well, so they go in to try to remove as much of this tumor as they can. And, um, and they get most of it, except here's what you got to remember two things. One, there's little shreds of tumor that they can't get. Of course. So there's like, like, like thousands of little, you know, little bitty pieces. Now keep in mind, those are going to double. 
<laughs> in 24 hours. Okay. So the only thing that ultimately is going to kill that is a chemo therapy that actually works. Okay. So we'll put that to the side. The other thing that happened though, in the surgery is the tumor was latched on so tightly to his intestines that when they did the surgery, it actually ripped the intestines open. Okay. So again, not trying to be overly graphic, but the reason I share that is because essentially this sent us on a, on a seven day, basically hourly moment by moment kind of, you know, whirlwind of wondering if he would survive because it's basically um, with the cancer, there's two things going on now. So he can't start chemo until this wound now is right. fully healed. Um, and so we're just clocking this thing. And so, man, there's so many details, but let's just say this. He was an ICU, you know, uh, unconscious. Oh. Um, I mean, it was, it was so, it's like, just like in a second, you know, here's my mm-hmm. little boy, you know, yeah. here's my little boy. And, and the hardest thing as a dad, and I think as a parent, is there's nothing you can do. Like, like you just want to take all that, you know, all that pain and hurt and all this stuff upon yourself. You can't do that. So you can pray and and we need to pray and mm-hmm. God answers prayer and, and we can be by him and we can, you know, rub his arm and we can whisper, you know, truth to him in his ear. But, you know, here's my little 13 year old and we don't know if he's going to make it to the end of the week. Well, by God's grace, by the end of the week, um, they were waiting for this, this wound to heal up. And uh, long story short, they felt like it had healed enough because there had been some bleeding that had mm-hmm. happened throughout. And they were like, we can't start chemo until that's really sealed. Because if it's not sealed, the chemo will kill them. <sighs> so you can imagine what you're sitting in this tension. Well, anyway, so basically it was like the last night. They're like, we, you know, we're, we have to go for it. We've got to, we feel like we feel good about it. Um, we're going to try chemo. But then the piece is this, will the chemo work? Yeah, because not right. all chemos work, right? Totally. So now you're going, okay, Lord, oh God, please, I hope this chemo will work. They had a second option they weren't as confident in if this didn't work. And then you're going, you know, in our case, it, don't know if there's much hope because of the, the the aggressiveness of the particular kind of cancer. Right. So anyway, um, now we're we're just praying, trusting the Lord, you know, and getting to the point, I remember being in a room with my wife and it was like, we were so tired at that point, you know, cause mm-hmm. we didn't obviously sleep much. And I remember having to get to the place in my mind that my son was, was probably not going to make it. And I'm going, how do I, how am I going to be strong for my wife and my daughter and our church? And I could tell you inside me, if I'm just being honest with you, I have nothing like this is like my worst nightmare. Like literally, this is like, if you, you want to take me out, you know, this would be, this would be the way to do it. Take out my son, you Mm -hmm. know? Mm -hmm. And, um, and I remember just waiting all night. Anyway, we're waiting to hear is, is the chemo having any effect? And within several hours, a couple of doctors came in and they're like, it's looking like this chemo is going to work. And it was like, Oh man, okay. You don't want to get too excited, but you're sure. like, okay, yeah. please, you know, because again, the tumors had begun to grow again. Okay. So Ugh. that's all going on. So that's tumors. Mm-hmm. And so <clears throat> anyway, within a day or two, praise God, they were like, this chemo is should work. This chemo should work. And so mm-hmm. then they set up this plan. We were in the hospital. We lived in the hospital for three and a half months. Oh my goodness. Um, 
and of extreme, very, uh, again, different types of cancer have different, you know, mm-hmm. kind of, uh, you know, chemotherapy, what yeah. am I trying to say? Protocol uh, and whatever. Yeah, pro- yeah, exactly. Yeah. Kind of, um, yeah. Kind of a game plan for how, yeah. you know, how you're going to treat it. This kind of cancer, it was just, they just kind of annihilated the sweet guy. Cause, because yeah. again, they were like, we have to kill this. And it's really, so <clears throat> that's what they did for three months. And he became just skin and bone and it was so hard. Um, but by God's grace, man, his attitude was great through it all. Oh. Um, one of the hardest things, Caitlin, about that time for us is we were on the floor, the oncology floor in this children's hospital with other families of little kids who have cancer. And mm-hmm. this is a floor, like I'm just telling you, like, you don't understand suffering until you you're on that floor. Um, many babies coming in with cancer and they're not, they didn't survive, you know? And so you're, you're, we're there. Part of why we believe God had us there was to minister and just love on these families. Many of whom, you know, didn't know God. Um, But to walk with these families and to see the pain and, I just remember every day going, Lord, if I didn't know you, and mm-hmm. if I didn't know you're sovereign, you're loving, you're wise, um, I don't know what I would do with this. You know what I mean? This yeah. would wreck my whole life, I think. I mean, I don't know what I would do. And so anyway, just clinging to to those truths about who God is and taking it one day at a time. And then thank the Lord, you know, by the time we got out, we got out three and a half months later and then uh, came home. But again, Eli's body was so beat up at that point mm-hmm. and so weak that uh, he was basically at home in the house, couldn't do anything for another three months. Wow. And slowly his body started getting stronger. Um, and um, and then I guess that was through yeah the school year. He was home and then was able to start school back in the fall. Um, so, you know, again, what I would say is that's kind of a sh- actually a short version. I know I'm going on and on, but um, so many things we learned in that time. I mean, one mm-hmm. is, I mean, listen, the Lord did not have to heal my son. Yeah. He just, he didn't have to, and he still would have been God and he still mm-hmm. would have been good. And, and I remember praying God, wh- whichever way this goes, I want to glorify you. Like, even mm-hmm. if like, I got no strength in my bones. If you, if you, if you take my son, like this is. This, I don't even know how I'm going to recover from this, but, but you do know, you know, and, and I want our church to see, cause I know what I believe. I believe you are everything I've been saying you are since the moment you changed my life when I was 15 years old, you know? Yeah. And so it was a reminder of in our suffering, man, if I didn't know those truths, I would have been in big trouble too. I think, um, what you know, you can't really feel the pain of others until you experience pain yourself. And yeah. I think that's just true. You just can't. I mean, you can try, and I think some people are very empathetic and they care about people, but it's a whole nother level for us now with parents whose children are suffering. You know, if they're totally. suffering from cancer for sure, but any kind of suffering, mm-hmm. it's a unique pain that parent and again, all pain is is awful. And mm-hmm. everybody who's listening to this podcast has their own story of pain, but for our story. Um, the, the pain of a child dying of an, of a, of an illness like this is a unique pain that is so hard. And so we feel like, man, we, we want to encourage parents Mm -hmm. and love parents who are in that place because it's a really hard place to be. 
Um, so anyway, those are some of the things, um, man, there's so many things I could talk about, but yeah. at the end of the day, um, it was a hard season, but God proved his faithfulness, um, to me and to my wife and, and our family. Um, and we're really grateful for that. How, so during that time, which first of all, I mean, I'm just so sorry, obviously that you guys went through that. Thank God Eli is doing so well today. No. Very thankful. In, in the darkest times, what was conversation like between you and Jenna? Like, what is your marriage going through? Yep. Yeah. So I would say this. Our marriage during that time um, looked kind of like this. Now, part of it is, if you know my wife, like, we are both pretty driven, somewhat type A kind of personalities, okay? My wife is unbelievable. I mean, she's just unbelievable. She's so strong, loves the Lord, just is a leader. So I would almost say it kind of went in two parts. The first part, <clears throat> the first half of this deal with Eli, I would say I was just in the pit. I mean, I was in the pit. Mm-hmm. I tend to be a little more emotional, honestly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we joke about that. And so like, I was really, really struggling. Jenna was just like superwoman. She's mm-hmm. like, listen, we're going to be okay. We got to, we got to deal with this. We got to, you know, and she, she kind of held us together. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. Uh, in the midst of a lot of that. Um, when quite frankly, I think I was, I was just really struggling. It was mm-hmm. a really hard thing. And so I would say for her, so there's a sense in which, you know, she was strong for us. I would say about halfway in the roles kind of reversed a little bit. Okay. Yeah. Kind of get through that survival mode and reality starts to hit in and, She's just exhausted from holding this thing together. Mm-hmm. And I was starting to feel uh, I was in a better, healthier place mm-hmm. and, and kind of was able to kind of be the strong one for a season. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think, again, this is where in marriage, man, we need one another. Um, yeah. And there's going to be seasons where one of us is stronger than the other. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. And we need to lean on each other. Yeah. We need to recognize that. And I think like, um, to be honest, you know, and we, we read a lot about this, like it's amazing. and so sad, but how many parents actually get a divorce whose oh. kids get cancer? Um, yes. you know, and you can see why, I mean, it's yes. just like, it's so hard and there's mm-hmm. so many things, but I would say for us again, and this is God's kindness. It really just, it, it grew our marriage. I mean, mm-hmm. I think like it just kind of proved in some ways, again, pain reveals things. Yes. Pain reveals what you really believe about God. Pain reveals um, and and suffering reveals where is your marriage at? Like, really? You know what I mean? I don't care what you're saying. Like, where is it really? Mm -hmm. Uh, Pain reveals things. And I think it revealed to us, not that we have a perfect marriage because we definitely don't, but I think it did reveal, man, we really are in this together and we really do love each other. And um, God really did bring us together for a, you know, a time such as this. And, mm-hmm. and so, you know, there were times, lots of tears, you know, lots of time together. I think that was one thing too. And our church was so gracious during this time mm-hmm. because um, honestly, I mean, gee whiz, just the thought of being, of preaching during that season, oh. I, I couldn't even imagine it. I had nothing in me. So, so I think a huge part of it was Jenna and I were really spending a lot of time together um, mm-hmm. during this time in a good way, not just like we're in the same room, but like right. talking, processing, praying, um, crying, um, 
And I would say to married couples, like, you know, the question is, how are you going to, how are you going to deal with the pain you experience as a couple? Because you're either going to drift further away or you're going to lean in. Yeah. Um, and my encouragement is you've got to lean in. Mm-hmm. And even if it's awkward, even if it's like, I don't want to show weakness. Listen, you are weak. I am yeah. weak. We're all weak. And that's the biggest problem in marriages is we think we're, it's our pride and it comes in all kinds of ways. But man, when your child's suffering or you go through major pain, you have to rely on each other and you've got to yeah. let not only serve the other, you have to let the other serve you. Yeah. And that's the, you see what I mean? Like some of us, we Dude. love to serve and serve and care for people and whatever, but we get really weirded out when people want to serve us. And that's just another form of pride. Yeah. It's like, listen, you've got to let people love you and serve you because that's how God's made this thing to work, you know? And so I think in our marriage, that was a big thing that we experienced in that time. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, there were, again, there were really hard moments and times course, when we were yes. short with one another and all kinds of things. But, mm-hmm. um, but boy, I'm so thankful for Jenna and, and uh, yeah, just her, her strength during that time for sure. Yeah. What? kind of things did you say to Eli? Like, what do you say to your son? You're, you're more scared than you've ever been your entire life. Yep. But you're his dad. Totally. Well, I think that's where, um, you know, it's kind of like being a pastor is a weird thing for a lot of reasons. Um, one of the, one of the things that you know, and I think, again, if you're not called by God to be a pastor, it's the last thing you want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a calling. And one of the the things we do as pastors that's really weird and, and hard is you've got to be really strong for people in the darkest of times. So, yeah. like, doing funerals. Yes. Like, it's really, this is stuff you're never going to hear, but it is really hard for pastors. Yeah. <laughs> because a lot of times we're leading a funeral for someone we deeply loved ourselves. You yeah. Know? And so there's a sense in which, but at the same time, learning how do I be real, but also being mature enough that this isn't about me right now. I need to be strong. God, give me strength to bring comfort to those who need comfort right now. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, I would say as a parent, a lot of times you've got to do the same thing with your kids, you know? Yeah. When your kids are hurting in any way, like it hurts you. I mean, just mm-hmm. wait. I mean, your kiddos are still pretty young, but they're going to get older. And yeah, man, when they they have, you know, their first boyfriend, you know, your sweet girls and Ugh, yikes. their heart. I mean, yeah. that's going to hurt your heart, you know? I mean, mm-hmm. it's, and so, you know, in this case with Eli's illness, I mean, it was so hard, but I also knew, listen, Eli needs me to be strong for him. Yeah. He needs to um, give hope to him, to point him to truth, mm-hmm. um, mind him that God loves him, that Jesus loves him, that our church loves him, that people are praying for him. Um, not in, And these aren't false things we do just to make him feel better. These are truths we believe as Christians, you know? Mm-hmm. And so he needed truth because in his little head, you know, here's what he's thinking. And, and again, as he's gotten older, it's been really good to process um, you know, he, he, there. I remember some times where he was, you know, I mean, this is this is the kind of thing he's he's saying, Dad. Um. You know why? What have I done to deserve this? Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, which is a natural question that everybody asks. But as a thirteen-year-old, you're going. He, he doesn't. He's trying to make sense of this. Like, yeah. did I do something wrong? Like, is mm-hmm. God mad at me? Like, what? You know, what did I do? What? 
how can I be have cancer? Like, Mm -hmm. and by the way, one of the things that made this so difficult too, the timing of it was we had two close friends and one of them was Eli's Sunday school teacher who he adored, who died of cancer within six months of Eli's diagnosis. So we had been mourning the death of two men in our church. And again, one was Eli adored this guy and they were buddies all the way to the end. Mm. And then all of a sudden he gets cancer. And so you can imagine just the emotions of a 13 year old trying to process. Yes. Um, It was so hard. Um, At the same time, I think part of that is, is, uh, you know, I look back at all those days together in the hospital. Part of it is just having fun with them too. You know, Mm. it's like, listen, bud, God is still good. And even though, you've lost your hair and you know, all this kind of stuff. Let's there's joy to be found in this, you know, and there's joy to be found in the midst of suffering, um, in, in life. And we've got one another. And, um, and so trying to, again, keep him, you know, not just positive in a worldly sense, but just again, hope filled, you know, Mm -hmm. in the midst of it all. Um, and being his friend, you know, Mm -hmm. that's the thing is parents, man, and parenting is so hard. But one of the things I know is, you know, your kids have got to know that you not just, you don't just love them. You really like them a lot. Yeah, and yeah. I felt like, man, he needs, he needs dad to be a good friend to him in mm. this time, you know? And so anyway, it was a, such a unique deal, but um, really trying to speak truth in his little head because, mm-hmm. you know, there's a lot, you're sitting there and fear will take over. And so you have to fight fear or else you're going to feed fear. I don't yeah. care how old you are. And that's going to take you into a dark place really quickly. And so um, you're kind of fighting for your child in terms of their their mind. And, you know, what are they thinking? What are they believing? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think you have to approach it like that. I think you got to approach that as a parent with your kids all the time, whether they're sick or not. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, because if we don't fight for their minds and mm-hmm. protecting their minds, nobody will. Um, yeah. So anyway, that's so that's part of, I think, you know, the way I could care for Eli during that time. It's like he could borrow from your faith, you know, mm-hmm. like when he didn't have, you know, it's like exactly. you were yes. there for him to just kind of borrow from in that way. Exactly. Yep. That's did exactly you, right. Did you and Jenna feel like a ton of pressure to like be a certain way or act a certain way because you knew like your whole flipping church is watching you? Like they're oh, yeah, watching yeah, yeah. and waiting, uh-huh. you know? Yeah. You know what? Here's the truth. We didn't. But I also think. And again, this isn't because of us. This is just what God's done in us is it wasn't fake. In fact, I felt like we could be incredibly real. Um, And we were, I mean, we, you know, Mm -hmm. she and I did a lot of writing during that time and we Mm -hmm. may publish that at some point. I don't know. We'll see. I I want to be sensitive to Eli, obviously, but, Mm -hmm. but I think what we did, we communicated a lot. Like I blogged a lot during that time, partly for our people. You know, just yes. to know, man, this is where I'm at and try to be pretty honest, but also, but never without hope, you know, because again, this is, I know this, it's not just us suffering. It's our whole church that's suffering. You know what I yeah. mean? Yes. It's our, our extended family. Everybody is feeling this. Everybody, they love our family. They love Eli, you know? Um, and so part of it was inviting them in, not to be this surface level, oh, everything's great and everything, but man, this is not the way things are supposed to be. This yeah. is not fun. This is not good. Um, and yet the Lord is our rock mm-hmm. and he is our strength. 
Mm-hmm. And when we say that, when Jen and I say that, we actually believe that. Yeah. <laughs> That's not yeah. kind of a phony thing. Like we really mm-hmm. believe that. I think you have to fight for those truths and remind yourself. You're preaching mm-hmm. to yourself in those times as much mm-hmm. as, as anyone else is, you know? Um, and so that was really helpful for us to just journey with our people and yeah. try to be really honest about our fears and our, uh, you know, um, our weakness in that. Mm-hmm. And yet, hopefully always pointing to what we ultimately believe is that Jesus has got us um, no matter where this thing goes. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and they were so gracious. I mean, seriously, mm-hmm. if you don't, if you're listening to this and you do not have a local church mm-hmm. um, that you are committed to not just showing up once in a while, but like you need the church, this is God's design. Mm-hmm. And in particular times of suffering, man, if we didn't have our church, I don't know how we would have made it through. And I really mm-hmm. mean that. And it's obvious, like, it's obvious that your people, your congregation is so connected to you. And I think mm. that that speaks to you being vulnerable and and honest through that whole thing, you know? Yeah. And I think that that's amazing. Did you suffer from panic attacks when you were in the hospital with yeah, Eli? Th- you know, it's interesting. That's a great question. Um, I, d- I actually didn't. Mm. Um, I would say... Um, you know, there was definitely anxiety, but I think, again, I think the healing God's done in me in that area um, since my 20s um, is I'm able to handle some of those things mm-hmm. better. Um, but I would say this. I mean, fear was real. There was real of fear. Course. I mean, um, that crept in. Um, but fortunately, thankfully, you know, to the point of panic attacks that were like uncontrollable. I um, didn't experience that by mm-hmm. God's grace. I, I would say, to be honest with you, there, there definitely was some depression. Um, yeah. When I look back, there were a few seasons within that. Cause it was really just, Caitlin, it was really about a year period. Yeah. Um, everything. And there were definitely some seasons that were pretty dark and heavy um, where it was hard to get out of bed. You know, mm. um, I just want to sleep. And, um, and I could tell like, that's not me. Um, but it's also, that's where I'm at, you know, and I need to just name that and I need people that I can share that with and, uh, pray for me and encourage me and help me. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we're all going to be there. That's the thing. We're yeah. all going to be there. You know, it's coming and it's going to come more than once. I mean, yeah. this, this side of heaven, life is hard. It just mm-hmm. is. It's just really, really hard. And, you know, I, the pastor I served under for years, actually South Sub, used, used to always say, be kind because everyone you meet is fighting a hard battle. Yeah. And I think about that all the time. And it's mm-hmm. like, life is really hard and we need to be really gracious to one another and love one another and and weep with one another and rejoice with one another. Mm-hmm. Um, but all that means we've got to be honest and real mm-hmm. with one another. Otherwise, yeah. we can't have real friendship anyway, you know? Yeah, Absolutely. So listen, every single person that's listening to this right now is going through something to varying degrees or they've been through something or they're about to go through something and they don't even know it. You know, Mm -hmm, what what do you say to those people? Because, you know, your story is, I honestly, like, I guess every parent's worst nightmare. You know what I mean? So it's like, what do you say to people that are suffering? Yeah, that's a great question. I I would say this. If you're in the midst of it right now, like if you are in, and I just call it the pit, you know, Mm -hmm. and I think people know when I say the pit, yeah, I get the pit, you know, Mm -hmm. the pit is a dark place. You feel pretty hopeless. You 
very discouraged. And I would say a couple of things. I would say one, um, if you are a Christian, um, you need to be filling your mind with the truth of God's word. You need to be filling your mind. You need to be proactive uh, in that. Um, what we meditate on really matters. What we're filling our mind with really matters. Will either give us hope in the Lord, or it will it'll actually cause us to to drift away from the Lord. And so, you know, in Romans twelve it talks about the renewing of your mind. And so, you know, during these seasons, lean in on the Lord. But part of what that means is the Word of God is powerful in these mm-hmm. times. You need it. You need truth coming your way. And so, meditating and memorizing and reading scriptures. Listen, if you're in the pit and it's, and I've been here where you don't even have strength to read mm-hmm. the Bible, listen to the Bible. Yeah. Um, I can remember times even during Eli's uh, illness where I didn't have strength. I mean, literally. And so I would just go get on my app, my, my Bible app, and I would just listen to the word being read over me, mm. reminding me of who God is, reminding me of his truth. So um, if you're a Christian, and I would say even if you're not a Christian, um, the scriptures will br- should bring comfort to you in this time. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say you need community big time. Like you need people and you don't just need anybody. You need people who, and you know who they are. Like who are the people you can really be, they're safe. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. They love you no matter what. You can say dumb things and they're not going to like judge you like, <laughs> you know, in your totally. Pain. Yeah, but they're with you and they love you. We need community. We are more isolated than we've ever been. And listen, yeah. Instagram is not community. You mm-hmm. know, social media is not community. Like you need flesh and blood. You need somebody mm-hmm. to put their arms around you. Like literally, like you yeah. need people. God made us for community. And so I would say if you're if you're sitting here listening and you're not a Christian, one is you need to know that the God who made you really loves you. And he wants to be the treasure of your life mm-hmm. and you're not alone. And, and he wants you to turn to him. And that's why he sent his son Christ to die for us. Cause we're all sinners. We're all broken mm-hmm. and we need salvation. And, and that's what he offers. And so, man, my prayer would be, and turn to Jesus. He, he loves you. This isn't about some religious thing. This is about the God who made the earth and your and you and wants you and wants a relationship with you. And apart from him, I just don't know where you find any real hope. I'll be honest. Mm-hmm. I just don't know. Not long lasting. Yeah. You can turn to the things of this world, turn to food. I love food. Tastes mm-hmm. great. When I'm depressed, give me a burrito. Um, that's cool. Oh, yeah. But then it's gone, you know, mm-hmm. um, turn to Netflix. That's great. But you know what? It's the show, you know, you can mm-hmm. binge a, however many shows you want and then it's going to come to an end. So Anyway, we need to turn turn to the Lord, and the Lord loves you. Um, we need community. Um, we need the truth of God's word, and and we need people who can can speak hope. Hope is a big deal. Hope mm-hmm. is powerful. Yeah. What hope is basically, you know, hope springs from, um, you know, people who um, stating truth in the present about the future. Okay. Mm. So in other words, like hope is not just this kind of like wishful thinking. It's actually based on realities that we just haven't experienced yet, but are true. Okay. Mm -hmm. And we need hope givers in our lives. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. There's a lot of hope suckers, you know, there's a lot of joy suckers. We need, we need, we need hope givers. And, um, 
and surround yourself with those people, especially when you're in the pit, like you just don't have strength not to, you know, mm-hmm. um, and don't isolate yourselves. And then I would say this, I would go back to, okay, if you're not in the pit right now, um, and I'm not trying to be Debbie Downer, I'm just being honest, like the, yeah. it's coming, it's just mm-hmm. going to come. Um, we're all getting older, mm-hmm. um, whether it's in our own health or someone else's. And I would say all the things I just said um, need to be part of your ongoing daily life. Like mm-hmm. that shouldn't just be like, okay, when I, when I experience suffering, then I'll get serious about these things. Yeah. But that needs to be kind of the rhythm of your life. Um, but I would also say you've got to know God rightly. Mm-hmm. And, and again, I'm just going to reiterate his sovereignty, his love and his wisdom. Mm-hmm. That, that is who God is and you need him that's the God who will be a rock for you when you're Mm -hmm. like, why am I going through this? Mm I am totally confused. I'm in the midst of the storm and I have no idea what's going on. You need a God who is the God of the universe who you can cling to. You don't need some God you've put together or, you know, the cultures told you about that's not real. Mm -hmm. Um, Just being honest. And so that's where being in the word of God, being with other believers, Mm -hmm. um, being in a church that is solid, that, that actually isn't just trying to entertain you, but actually cares about serious things like mm-hmm. suffering yeah. and equipping you for that. That's what you need. And so those would just be a few thoughts. And the last thought I would say is this, man, show yourself tons of grace. Like yeah. our God is a God of grace and mm-hmm. I praise God every day for it. You know, um, he is just, and he loves showing his grace mm-hmm. and his kindness to us and all of our brokenness and, and all of our stuff. Um, at the end of the day, though, Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and broken, and I'll mm-hmm. give you rest. And, and so he invites us. The question is, will we run? You know, mm-hmm. will we run into his arms? Will we trust his love and his kindness and his grace? Um, or will we not? And so I, I pray daily we would just run over and over again. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's no better place to be than, than in the arms of Christ. Mm-hmm. It's beautiful. I could talk to you for 10 more hours. Oh, so, so fun. Me too. Thank you for your words, truly. If people want to hear more from you, where can they get all the books? What are the podcasts? Okay. Tell us. Yeah. Um, man, let's see. So I would say uh, a couple different spots. If you go to Amazon, that might be the easiest, unless mm-hmm. you don't like Amazon. But if you go to Amazon.com and just look up my name, mm-hmm. go to my author page, there's a lot of books there. Um, some that might be of interest to you, most may not, unless you're in ministry. But um, one book that we wrote that I, I always love to give to people when I can. It's called The Relentless Encourager. Mm. I think encouragement is so needed in our day mm-hmm. and it's something we don't talk enough about. And so maybe that's something that would be encouraging to you. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, if you go to Amazon, I've got my blog is called preachleadlove.com. Perfect. Um, and that's just kind of the place where I hang out and post mm-hmm. thoughts and things, um, awesome. you know, and got other resources there. And then our church is just Calvary Inglewood. Mm-hmm. Uh, com, calvaryinglewood.com. If you want to listen to some sermons, there's a lot of them on there. Um, and again, just sharing uh, my love for the Lord and the word. And so hopefully maybe those, those things would be encouraging on some level. Amazing. Thank you so much. We will link all of that in the notes. People can find you. Got to go out with the, our favorite last question. What's your favorite snack right now? My favorite snack right now? Oh my gosh. That's a great question. I'll be honest. I've had a resurgence of passion for Quaker granola bars. Oh. Now listen, maybe it doesn't sound that fun, but they are fun. All right. Chocolate chip granola bars. See, my wife's a healthy eater. 
And so okay. this is like a fun treat. Okay. Yes. So I've been going nuts with, with granola bars, um, good chocolatey granola bars. The other thing that I want to say though, is Halloween's coming up. I know. And so at our church, guess what's popping up everywhere is all kinds of candy. Everywhere. And I'm not a huge candy guy, but I'll tell you what, two things I love. I love a good Twix. Yes. I love, I love a good Snickers bar. Those little guys, yes. the little Snickers, Twixes. So I've been going nuts with those two things as well. So my healthy snack, kind of healthy snack is, is the granola bar thing love in it. my house. But then at the church, I'm going nuts with Twix and Snickers. So Absolutely. I snacks. was, someone dropped off like a thing for the kids, like uh, whatever they, you know, they like boo you in the neighborhood or whatever. Yeah, they yeah. drop off like a thing. I was like today eating half the candy out of the thing. And I was like, the kids are going to kill me. Cause they're going to, oh, they, totally. like, they probably counted this, but whatever. I'm in charge That's here. Awesome. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> whatever. You, eat it. you deserve it, mom. You exactly. It. It's mine. Yeah. It's all mine. That's anyway. right. <laughs> Mark, thank you awesome. so much. This was incredible. Thank you so much for your time. I know yeah. this is going to encourage so many people. I hope it does. I hope it does. And thank you. You're doing such a great job. Thank you so much. Hey, thanks for joining us today. Don't forget to subscribe and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, CaitlinElliott.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. And hey, if you want to toss us a five-star rating, I would love you forever. Check us out next week for another new episode. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at so.what.else. Editing and all that stuff by Matt Carpenter with Parable Productions. Oh,